Well, good morning to uh, the intrepid few who, uh, who journeyed out in the snow. And for those of you who are enjoying what we uh, appreciate most about the live stream, and that is wherever you are, um, you can join us and be part of our worship experience, and we welcome you. Uh, as I was preparing this uh, series, uh, probably about four years ago, I read um, a book by Richard Rohr. Uh, it's entitled Breathing Underwater, and that's really what we've patterned uh, this uh, message series about, Breathing Underwater. Breathing Underwater takes the 12 steps of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and speaks about them from the perspective of those of us who struggle with addiction to other kinds of things. We might think that addiction is something that only happens to people who get hooked on alcohol or um, find themselves addicted to drugs or sex or uh, gambling or any of those kinds of things. Yet we all sort of live addicted lives, addicted to our own ways of thinking, addicted to um, the way that we want to be seen in the world in which we live. We... Be, we uh, we get used to the patterns. So I want to begin today by saying, I'm powerless. I'm powerless, you know, certainly in a big way. I look outside. I'm powerless against the weather. There was no way to hold off the snow. People ask me periodically uh, for weddings and for special events. Uh, on Friday night, I went to an event. Yesterday was a, an all-day training event for our district uh, two districts actually, 102 churches gathered and there was a training event. And uh, the person who's in charge, Kim, whom I love very dearly, said to me, now James, I need for you to arrange so that there's no snow tomorrow uh, all day on Saturday. And as it turned out, there wasn't, but I had no power over whether there was or wasn't. Let's just be honest. As cool as it would be if I had weather powers, I don't have them. Uh, not even local weather powers. Uh, I can push a shovel with the next, uh, next of us. That's about it. So the truth is, as we enter into this series, the very first thing we have to admit is there's a point when we can no longer manage our lives. When we realize that we are out of control. The way we think about things, the addicted patterns with which we see the world in which we live, are out of control. They are out of control. So I want to share with you, first of all, a uh, passage, um, a bit of a passage from uh, the book of Romans. Paul is writing to the folks in Rome. And uh, there are a couple of pieces I want to touch on. But first, in chapter 7, verse 11, uh, Paul says, Sin seized the opportunity through the commandment and deceived me, and killed me. Sin seized the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and killed me. Now that sounds pretty intense. I mean, seized me, killed me. But the truth is, what the commandments often do for us is we think that there's something we can accomplish. Something we can do to earn God's love. Something we can do to clarify our world, to 
keep control, to stay in charge, to be the boss of my life and everything I do. And the truth is, it's a lie. If we get down to the bottom line, sure, probably most of us are not murderers. But there are lots of ways that we participate in murdering someone else's soul, our emotions, that we take away their dignity, that we steal their lives in other kinds of ways. But sure, at the surface level, none of us probably have killed someone in cold blood on the street. So we think that we have successfully lived into the commandment itself. And then we begin to feel puffed up about ourselves. Well, I don't have any other gods but God. The very first commandment. Sure we do. Money. Success. Happiness. Uh, beautiful relationships. You name it, we have made them the God of our lives. We've already broken the commandments and it's only the first one we hit. I am powerless. I have to hit rock bottom to realize I can't manage my life. I can't do everything. Oftentimes I can't do anything. And oftentimes I can't even change my own mind about things. Think about it. Really think about it. The patterns that go on in your mind in your everyday life. The patterns that go on in my mind in my everyday life. I see something. I automatically kind of fall into a pattern. Sometimes things I've been thinking since I was a child. Last year I was preaching a series um, and I was talking about big folks in the Bible and I hit Noah. And you see, when I chose Noah, I was thinking of my second grade experience, second grade Sunday school experience of Noah. And let me tell you, when we teach the story of Noah to second grade classes, we clean it up really nice, you know, because second graders aren't prepared for the aftermath of a massive flood where only Noah and his family and two animals of each kind are saved. There's a lot of death and bloated bodies left floating around. And I began to read this story, and I thought, man, I chose this story. There's just a lot of, there's just a lot of darkness here. And the truth is, sometimes we are continuing to see life through that second grade message. We're still reprocessing pain we had as a child. Somebody left us out. And the only way we could respond was to be ugly or cynical or sarcastic back. And now when we feel excluded, that hurt child comes out in the way that we treat the next person. We've become addicted. We've come to live into that pattern, that very pattern that we don't want to. Paul says it best, I think, when he goes on in chapter 7 of Romans. Of course, I should have just put my finger in there so I didn't lose it after I finished. But here we go. I don't know what I'm doing because I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the thing that I hate. Now, maybe none of you ever do that. Maybe you walk through life. Maybe this is a sermon I'm just preaching for myself. And quite frankly, it is one for me. Because oftentimes, I am convinced, ever so briefly, how control and control I am of my own emotions. I spent the week uh, finalizing my... Uh, uh, preparation for yesterday. I taught two classes, and uh, the district staff asked me to teach those two classes, and they were completely 
on two different ends of the scale. One was live streaming for small churches. So I taught that in the morning. The afternoon was contemplative prayer. If you'd like to hear about two radically different, uh, diametrically opposed topics that you have to prepare for, one is very technical. I had a classroom of people that were asking all sorts of technical questions about what do you actually need? You know, video source, some form of uh, audio source as well, and an encoder, and all these little pieces, and a connection to the internet. Uh, and but all of the intricacies of that. And then in the afternoon, I went into a group with a group of people who wanted to learn simple ways to be contemplative, to take a step back, to breathe, to not be addicted to filling every moment of our lives with something, 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 whether it's a thought or an action or something. How do we break that pattern? How do we find that? And so for an hour and a half, I taught this class about breaking patterns uh, and I wish I had framed it as breaking patterns instead I just uh, I I told them about how to do centering prayer and how to do uh, very active prayer how to how to do Lexio Divina and all of these other kinds of uh, things but the truth is I wanted them to like my class they write reviews at the end you know, I, uh, I don't think I'll ever be a college professor. I, I never thought I would be. I definitely won't be now. I'm not sure I could take the reviews at the, end of, uh, at the end of every quarter. I don't know. Professor Henry doesn't seem to know anything about what he's talking about. You know, that kind of, I just don't want to hear it. I, I, I'm addicted to the esteem that comes with people saying they like what I'm doing and who I am. And as much as I say I'm over it, it's a lie. It's a lie that I relive every Sunday morning that I get up and talk to you all. I do my very best to be authentic with you. I do my very best to tell you the truth. And then I walk out of this building and I say, how could I possibly have told them the truth about that? <laughs> Why did I tell them that story? Why did I say that we're powerless? Why did I interpret the Bible message that particular way? Why couldn't I have done it better? Why didn't I think of this? Why didn't I think of that? And suddenly I'm in that morass of addicted patterns of the way I look at my life. Not quite good enough, James. Can't quite measure up. Now, next week we're going to talk about the only one who really has any right to name us. But that one names us with love. And that's God. But I don't want to get ahead although I have already. The truth is, until we hit that place where we realize we are addicted to our own understanding of our control, our own way of looking at the world. I mean, how many conversations turn into arguments because I know I'm right, and you know you're right, and neither one of us is willing to give an inch. There is no space because my ego won't give your ego won't give. Now, I'm not pointing at anyone in particular out there on the camera. But because neither one of us is willing to give any space, we're at an impasse. And that's addiction to my own ego, to, being, to imagining I'm in control. As long as I don't give you an inch and you don't, you know, 
you don't have to give me an inch, but I'm the boss. I'm the boss. It's the same way, with, it's the same way in my relationship with God sometimes. I'm not giving an inch. This is who I think God is. God keeps breaking the world open around me all the time, and I get new ways to see God. But I can't because God's outside my box. And my box is where God belongs. And so I, I become addicted to a lifelong pattern of thinking, of seeing myself a certain way, and that way is often shaped by who other people think I am, who I think I'm supposed to be to make God happy, the commandments again. And as long as I can keep the commandments, God and I are you know, totally cool. That love doesn't even have to play into it because I've earned God, and you can't. I, I really hate to tell all of you online and in person, but the truth is God already loves you. Try as you might. You can't alienate God from loving you. You can't stop God from loving you. And try as you might, you can't earn the love of God. It is a given. You are invited to live into it, but part of it means letting go. That's why we practice centering prayer on Tuesday nights. That's why I practice it every morning and afternoon. I have to do it twice a day so I can watch the addictive patterns that throw, flow through my life. Wanting to be liked yesterday. Wanted to be, you know, I introduced myself yesterday and I told them about my years of experience in centering prayer and I told them about the fact that I was a, in the living school with Richard Rohr and, you know, I, I told them and they, he said, and then I said, and you know what? I've just become self-aware enough to realize I wanted you to think that I'm competent. I, was, I needed you to know I was competent. That was my stuff that I brought into the class yesterday. I needed you to think I know what I'm talking about when I talk about this whole contemplative prayer thing. It's really hard to be us when we spend so much time icing the cake. When we spend so much time creating this facade that we want people to see us as. So the first thing, the first step, and um, I'm convinced this is what the church is really supposed to be about. You know, but our AA sisters and brothers uh, and our narcotics anonymous sisters and brothers and our sex anonymous sisters and brothers get it. They own the fact that they are powerless over their addiction. It just keeps taking control. I hate what I do, and yet I do it. I hate what I do, and yet I do it. To admit we're powerless is something that is contrary to everything we're taught from the time we're a child. It's the first thing my dog does when she thinks she's in trouble. She lays on the floor and exposes her belly. I, 
I am completely, I, I, I'm wrong, I don't know what I did, I'm not sure why you don't like me when I, uh, you don't like it when I chew toilet paper and when I go into the trash and carry things around in my, you know, I don't understand it, I don't understand it, but I'm completely submissive, I'm powerless, you're the boss, you're the alpha dog, at least you can think you are for a few moments while I'm laying here with my stomach up. My dog gets it, you know. Addicted folks in, you know, who have maybe obvious signs in their lives they're out of control get it. But the church just needs to get it. Part of what we do every Sunday when we gather in this space and what we're meant to do with our lives is to admit over and over again, I can't make this without God. I think I can. I'm sure I can. My life is so together. And I make sure it looks that way to all of you. <laughs> but the truth is, Sometimes it just comes off the rails. Now, maybe yours doesn't. But until I'm able to admit I'm powerless about the way uh, I think about things, the patterns I seem to repeat over and over again, until I can give that up and admit to myself, I need to die to myself. My ego needs to let go. Until I can admit that, I can't find healing. I can't find new life. There's a rock bottom for all of us. I don't know where it is. For me, it's moments like yesterday when I, I watch my patterns. I watch as it comes out of my mouth. I'd like to believe this is a good sign, that I recognized, uh, you know, I watched myself go over the waterfall, but at least I waved. I'm going over the waterfall, but uh, oh, I'm going, right before I had to prove all those things. And then once I stopped trying to prove it, I think that the rest of the class went okay. <laughs> but in the beginning, it was all about how competent I am, how much I know, why you should listen to me. The truth is we ought to listen better to each other. I know when I sit and look at each one of you, I am looking at Christ. A piece of Christ. A bit of Christ. When I look, I can't see you yet. We haven't worked out this internet thing so I can see you while you're seeing me. But uh, I'm sure out there if I could see you, I could see Christ too just haven't learned to do that yet so you know maybe it's not a happy uplifting message Woo! yay I'm powerless woo, 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 woo. but uh, it is a step and it's a step on the journey of faith that enriches me every day when I realize to myself when I first read this book the whole was a page turner so I encourage you to pick up a copy of the book, Richard Rohr's Breathing Underwater. And if you're at all interested in, in deeper conversations about this, um, I'm going to be doing uh, every other Thursday night for a while, starting this Thursday night from 7 to 8.30, next door at the Mission House, our Mission House. We'll meet in conversation. You just need to shoot me an email so I'm sure that we have enough seating uh, for whoever comes. There are a couple people who have already signed up. But we'll be talking about 
this book and talking about ourselves and why this book applies to us. The biblical insight that Richard brings to it is really kind of powerful. Um, so, I encourage you this week to take yourself a little less seriously. To let go of a few more things that you feel like, absolutely, if I do not shovel the snow, the world will end. You know, let it go. If I am not the first one at the office on, on Monday, despite the snow, the world will end. As much as we're all important and we're vital to God and infinitely precious, the world will not end if those things don't happen. We are indeed powerless before the God who loves us because of and including our powerlessness. So go reflect on yourself. Reflect on the places that you see patterns you're addicted to ways of thinking, to ways of acting, to ways of being, and let that uh, reflection perhaps be a movement in the direction of admitting your own powerlessness before God.